Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hi, Adam. Do you know what A stands for in this in this scenario? What, what? What does it stand for? A is for Adam. Oh, well... But, but a different... No, A-T-O-M. Not oh, A-D-A-M. Atom. Like the name of the show. Yes, like the Battle okay. 4. Yes. Yes. Uh, a is for Adam, B is for Bomb. Uh, that is what we are discussing today. Uh, e is for Extinction uh, is the is the other one in all of that. Uh, we're not talking about E is for Extinction today. Uh, though that would be a wild story to talk about. It's ranked really high on our list, right? Is It, it e, is. E is for Extinction is in the top 10, I think. It is... It's number 9. It's yes. number 9 on our list. Good, good uh, spot for it. It is a good spot. We rank X-Men stories on this list here. We rank all of the X-Men stories on this list here. Uh, or at least we try to. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about some more stories from Grant Morrison's uh, new X-Men. In fact, That's right. In fact, we're just kind of going through uh, everything we haven't covered in that first Ultimate Collection here. Uh <laughs> So that'll be fun. I, I am looking forward to... I was looking forward to catching up on this. And I'm going to say something bold, Adam. I'm going to say something actually buck wild. Okay. Grant Morrison, pretty good. Agreed, 100%. However, uh, after looking at these stories... And I, I uh, just very quickly, when I was editing last week's episode, I noted you were like, next week, amazing stories. I don't know. We're gonna find out. <laughs> I feel like there is one of the, one of the three stories we are ranking today is arguably the best piece of the Grant Morrison New X Men. Arguably, yeah, I don't know we'll, if it's we'll an argument I would yes. make. Yeah, it's arg it's arguably up there. The argument I will make is that one of the pieces we're doing is actually the worst standalone story in uh, Grant Morrison's time on X Men. Uh, they're great. Love Gmo. Uh, if you're listen. Substack has issues. No one's no one's gonna deny that. If you want the juiciest industry gossip, <laughs> go follow Grant Morrison's Substack. It's a delight. Yeah, there's some real gems coming out of that thing, man. Grant Morrison's like I'm like I'm like in my sixties now. <laughs> I, and I'm Grant Morrison. I probably will if I want a job at Marvel, I could say whatever I wanted and they would they would take me back. Like it's true. I'd be like Hey, I think Marvel's a terrible company. Also, can I write? Uh, I don't know what would what would Grant Morrison Devil Dinosaur? I would love to see a Grant Morrison <laughs> Devil Dinosaur. That would, hold on, I said that as a joke. That would be great. Has Grant Morrison ever done Hulk? No, I don't believe yeah, so. That, that'd Grant, be fun. Grant only did a handful of things over at Marvel. Uh, there was Fantastic Four, one, two, three, four. There was the X Men stuff, uh, Marvel Boy. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what else. It's not much. I'm just trying to think of something uh, they could go highbrow with. Now, I'm, I I hear you, bud. But today we are talking about their new X-Men. Uh, thanks to Patreon supporter Will. Will went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, said, Folks, I like what you're doing. 
I like uh, what you got going on and would love for you to talk about these Grant Morrison stories. So. What are we starting off with? We're going to start off with, because we're completionists, we, we added one story in here that's not technically part of the titled part of this story, but is also like thematically tied to it and ties into where the story goes from here. Uh, and that is Germ-Free Generation. So we're looking at new X-Men 117 through 120. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is this is the trick of this era of new X-Men, because we have a cavalcade of artists here. Uh, on, on these four issues, uh, we get Igor Cordy doing the bulk of it, Grant Morrison obviously writing, and Ethan Van Shiver doing uh, a few issues, which sucks. Hey... Um, let's, let's just be, let's just be real, real here. Y'all know it. EVS is terrible. And I wish, I wish he didn't do a handful of issues in one of the most important runs of X-Men ever. But here we are. Yeah, I think we should probably get the art thing out, uh, in front. And, uh, I, you know, I'm a very art driven guy when I read comics. Sure. Um, I think that when we started doing this show and I realized what a, a, a Morrison head you were, um, I was kind of taken aback because outside of the Quietly stuff, I never really held this era in like super high regard. And a huge part of that is not because of the writing. The writing is, is pretty excellent all the way through, um, you know, with a couple of duds. But one of the things that happened during this era was that when Quietly was not on the book, the artists that were hired to do it until they get up to, you know, Phil Jimenez and even Phil is at that, at that stage is not up to Quietly's standard. Um, yeah, Phil, Phil was a much younger artist at the time. Exactly. But, but Cordy is uh, by all accounts working on the most insane timetable I have ever heard of in my life. Uh, he's claimed in interviews that he did some of these issues in under two weeks. Yeah, there was there was a interview quote not from Cordy directly, but from one of his collaborators, uh, Ron Mars, mm -hmm. uh, say that we found on uh, CBR. Just because I'd always I, I I had always heard this, but I had yeah. never been able to source it. Uh, but Mars says Igor eventually found himself working on X Men, trying to pull the title out of habitual deadline doom. He often had to pencil and ink issues in two weeks. He told me he once penciled and inked an entire 22-page issue in a week because that's what was asked of him. Audience reaction was mixed at best. I mean, that's an understatement. Um, it's it, it is, bad. It is really bad. Um, like, the e I've EVS stuff is... I don't also, like, really I bad. don't like EVS's work in general. Yeah. Um, it's... And I mean, look, it's not great. It's not the worst thing in the world. It, I, I want to get into Cordy being rushed into two weeks. No, it's it's two completely different things. Um, if Cordy had had time, I I have seen polished work from him, and even if it's not like my favorite style, I mean the the per, you know Igor's got talent. Uh, my my issues with EBS uh, stem you know obviously from the bad taste of uh of comics gate and and all of the hatred that comes out of that individual but just from an artistic standpoint i really do not like his stuff either um he has this weird way of um flattening everything 
you know, he, he will do everything to, I think what, you know, he might think is like hyper detailed, you know, he'll draw every little twig on a, on a branch, but the end result, when you look at it, doesn't tend to have a ton of depth to it. It drives me absolutely nuts. I, I just don't, I don't like it. And, you know, every artist is going to suffer uh, against finished artwork from Frank Quitely um, and Townsend doing inks. But here it's just so bad. It drags these stories down. Um, so we sh now, once we've gotten that out of the way, I think my take this time around in reading some of these was put, put, try to put the art aside, try to use my artist brain to imagine what this could look like right. and concentrate on the writing, which is interesting. So what is the plot of germ-free generation? So 117 is kind of the lead into it. Uh, it's thematically actually more important for the stuff that happens in Imperial afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we wanted to cover it here. It is the introduction of Beak, Barnell Bohusk, who, Adam, <laughs> you know I, I love, love my boy Beak. You love Beak. I love Beak. Uh, he gets introduced here, and it's a great Morrison idea that had not been used to its full potential in the past. Like, it's similar to some of the ideas of a guy like Chamber uh, in Generation X, where he was like, I don't fit in, I'm ugly, being a mutant actually super sucks for me. Yeah. Except for this guy can't even, like, explode fire out of his mouth and do cool things. He's a chicken boy. He's a bird boy. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's, a little, he's a little chicken man from, from the right. Netherlands. And I yep. love him. I love him so much. He's working with Beast, who is also dealing with the fact that, you know, he's had a secondary mutation. And he's struggling with his new feline form. While the X-Men are struggling with the fact that there are now protesters out in front of the Xavier Institute and a huge number of new students because Xavier went on air and said, oh, I'm a mutant uh, and my school's been uh, the home of the X-Men for years. Hi, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Except uh, none of that was Xavier. It was actually Cassandra Nova, who we thought was dead, but instead inhabited Xavier's body. Pretty wild. Pretty wild stuff. Uh, so, you know, we're getting this whole mutant subculture thing that, that was, you know, going on in the books around this time that Morrison was driving at. Um, we get introduced to uh, the new Angel, um, who is the African-American dragon fly winged girl. Yeah, Angel Angel Salvador. She's a, she's a human fly. Yeah. Uh, she pukes up like goo, green goo. Um, does not like Wolverine, but is willing to follow him back to school where we learn that maybe she's not as tough as, you know, she wants to come across as. I, I, I like Angel Salvador a lot in concept and a good amount in practice, though I fully acknowledge and understand uh, that there are issues with her depiction. I think it's very much, it should have been done by somebody else, but I think it's a very good idea to have a hey this is your new kitty pride except for she's not this perfect little white girl from uh from chicago she's yeah. what if what if kitty pride but her life sucked <laughs> it in concept it, it's fine i i think the the her introduction and beaks to a certain extent but beaks works a little bit better because even if the art is ugly beak is very much supposed to be this sort of like you know, freaky. Beak's supposed to be an ugly kid. chicken boy. Yeah. Right? You know, but uh, Angel 
looks, you know, kind of weird um, in the way that, that she's put together. Anyway, so we're also introduced to the U-Men here. And John yeah. C- and we get reintroduced to John Sublime. Yeah, because uh, Sublime's... Uh, there were some hints about Sublime in an annual that we have not yet covered mm-hmm. on this podcast. But this is where we get to meet John Sublime in the flesh. We do not learn that he's actually a billion-year-old sentient bacteria man at <laughs> no. this point, and also not a yet. drug. We don't get that <laughs> yet. Grant Grant has not blessed us blessed us with that revelation. Uh, we get introduced to John Sublime. We get introduced to Martha Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, who you know people know her as No Girl, which is wrong, but it is what it is at this point. Uh, she's a she's a brain in a jar. Uh, mm-hmm. a tele- telekinetic also she has like what is it like super sci-fi blood or something that she has i don't know but it, in her original incarnation she is like being stabbed by a bunch of needles to keep her under control uh and she's able to crack emma um, should we should we explain what the human are real quick because we just said that there's a brain in a jar and the, the book does a good <laughs> job contextualizing that uh, we've mentioned the words the third species but we've also done a terrible job explaining it. Yeah, the U-Men are uh, followers of John Sublime's, like, basically a self-help book, which is, hey, if mutants are going to be the next evolution of, of humanity, humans should be able to do it, too. And, um, you know, homo the novissima. idea... What's that? It's homo novissima. Right. So the idea is that the U-Men are going to cut themselves off from the outside world, uh, they hermetically the... seal themselves into diving outfits. Yep. Um, but they are also going to periodically uh, hunt down mutants for their body parts, essentially. You know, if they have x-ray vision, they're going to steal their eyeballs. If they have wings, they're going to steal their wings. And uh, the, the U-Men walk around in these, like, biohazard suits and shoot razor blades out of their guns. The U-Men rule. Listen, the U-Men are a great idea that have not been used... To the extent that they should. Yeah. They're a really I fun concept. Um, and it, this all comes to a head at the end of this story when, um, you know, John Sublime thinks he's got the X-Men cornered as his new meat market uh, uh, for for parts. And Jean Grey, in one of the greatest Jean Grey scenes of all time, basically comes out and is like, single-handedly, you better get off my lawn. <laughs> Jean Grey walks out of the school. There's protesters on one side. There are the U-Men on the other. And she says, you're here at 2 a.m. to cause trouble. Do you have any idea how far out of your depth you are? <laughs> she's she's trying to be tricky with them. And then they try and attack. And she uses her tele, telekinesis, which she just regained recently. Right. Because mm-hmm. she lost it in the Claremont Revolution, don't worry about it. Uh, stuff anyway. She keeps she keeps pushing pushing it harder and harder to protect her school. It's like you don't understand. I I'm so much better than you. Don't threaten me. Don't patronize me. Don't ever endanger any of my students again. And then everyone's staring at her, and she says, "What's everyone looking at?" Because she has a phoenix raptor behind her, uh, and. While this is a plot point that I think a lot of people would normally, like, roll their eyes on, you gotta remember, like, this doesn't happen. This happens a, like, a there's a tiny hints of this in the late 90s. Right. Uh, in the, uh, 
uh, Steven Seagal stuff that never or Seagal stuff that never goes anywhere. Mm-hmm. But like this is them saying, "Hey, Jean's doing Phoenix stuff with without the Phoenix for she's just she's just doing Phoenix stuff now. What's <laughs> up with that? Yeah, it's a good like that's just as everything wraps up as Cyclops and Emma and uh, Martha have defeated the U Men as Jean has learned from uh, the comatose Beak that. Uh, Charles Xavier is not himself uh, right now. As Wolverine and Angel come back to the school, it's a very good moment. Yeah, I believe we skipped over an important plot point, which is that um, Cassandra Nova has been pretending to be Xavier. um, Right. Just in time to get picked up by uh, the Shi'ar to go visit Lalandra in space. And right before she left, she's... uh, (laughs) <laughs> basically controlled beak into beating beast half the death with a titanium baseball bat so beak's very upset about this too. and he's been traumatized <laughs> to say the least so this story i think has a lot of moving parts um i think it's interesting is it the nicest thing to look at absolutely not and i think that brings it down quite a bit for me but it is introducing some really fun, interesting things, and it does have that really cool gene scene at the end. There's good Listen, beast this stuff is, here. This is the arc where Glob Herman is technically introduced. And by introduced, is, I mean drawn on the page for the first time by that EVS, is which is just really upsetting to me. Well, he's always going to be on that Wikipedia page, unfortunately. So Yeah, but Glob's always going to live in my heart. Glob... EVS did not draw a single issue where Glob Herman says a word or does anything except for stands in the background. So I, if if he gets the credit for a skeleton man in pink jello, so be it. Hmm. It's okay. It is what it is. We should uh, try and rank this. We should rank this. Uh, we rank X-Men stories on this X-Men podcast about X-Men. Uh, we're trying to rank them all. Uh, we gotta rank them all, and we're getting there. We have, in fact, 612 stories on our list of all the X-Men stories of all time, ranked from best to worst, number one is The House of X, The Powers of Ten. Number 100 is Everything is Sinister from Uncanny X-Men Volume 2. Uh, the Rogue miniseries from the 90s is at number 200 right now. Uh, number 300 is The Nightcrawler versus Arcade Story from Uncanny 204. Uh, number 400 is Aurora Before the Storm. Uh, number 500 is Cyberforce slash X-Men Volume 1, number 1. Uh, man, that's at 500 now. <laughs> There's 112 X-Men stories worse than that. <laughs> Guys, X-Men may not be a good franchise. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Uh, number 600 is What If 37. That's What If Wolverine Was Lord of the Vampires During Inferno. And 612 is The Draco. So, I All don't right. think this is the worst new X-Men story. I uh, am very curious to see where you would like to start. I'm I'm looking around. So Planet X is at 83, and I think Planet X is better. I would agree. Murder at the Mansion is at 137. Uh, Murder at the Mansion is also better. I, I agree. Assault on Weapon Plus is at 160. That's better. I agree. Flipping through. Here Comes Tomorrow is at 286. And I think think it's i think here comes tomorrow is better at 319 is ambient magnetic fields uh new x-men 132 i think this is better than ambient magnetic fields yeah i would agree uh okay so we know 
we have our range. We're sort of hovering around the 300 mark here. I think this is a good place for it. I'm just trying to think of where to put it because we're talking... I think it's better than something like 301, the Zeb Wells, Necrotia stuff with New Mutants. Yeah, I can get behind that. I also think it's probably better than a 291 X-Force negative one. Yeah, um, it's probably better than... uh, I say probably. It's better than X-Men the Exterminated and better than Uncanny 600. Uh, I think the, it's like right there, right? Yeah, we're like right there. I don't think it's better than Uncanny one forty eight to one fifty, which, um, Mag- which is the story where Claremont figures out what he wants Magneto to be and redefines the character forever. Yeah, I I think that this story is more clever than Uncanny X Men six hundred, but I think in my heart I like six hundred better. So I'll leave it up to you. Uh, it can go under 600 and Grant, buddy, not up, not a slide on you. I think, <laughs> no. I think the writing is very clever in this one. You De- just deadlines, yeah. deadlines, deadlines were rough, but, yeah. but the deadlines were in service of something, Adam. That's right. Uh, and that is a enough said issue. <laughs> People, I think when they read these, especially this one. They don't have the larger context of the Nuff Said month, where Marvel decided that comics didn't need words for a month. Right. We've covered were, at least one of those. We covered uh, the forget, forget which one it was. the X Men, uh, the uh, Uncanny X Men issue. Oh, okay. Yep. And we've covered the uh, Extreme X Men issue. Uh, that I seem to remember as well. the The Uncanny one's part of the time when uh, Banshee started X Core. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the extreme ones when Gambit did a, Gambit did a thieving in this one. Here's the thing: Salvador Larocca is not as good of an artist as Frank Quietly. No, who is credited in this as Frank Quietly, which is even funnier. <laughs> it's in quotes, but it's very, very, very funny. This is this is Grant Morrison doing a silent issue with Frank Quietly. Grant understands comics. Say what you want about him. Grant understands comics probably better than any of us. Mm-hmm. Frank Whiteley understands the form of comics. Say you may not like Frank's style, how how Quietly renders figures and characters. You cannot say that Frank Quietly does not have a masterful grasp on sequential storytelling in it's comics. True. Yeah. That's true. One one of the greatest of all times when it comes to that, mm-hmm. and this this issue uh, is just is just Frank Whiteley going off. Oh, it's a masterpiece. Uh, I mean, let's just look at the cover for a second. I mean, it's New X Men One Twenty One Silence. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, we you knew we, right? <laughs> you listened to this fight. You knew. If yeah, folks, if you don't know, <laughs> you don't need to read the rest of the the comic to get this go read 121 like real quick it'll take you just a minute go go see what happens here yeah soak in all the all the details and the the way it's done uh the cover features uh just a a wonderful piece of artwork here of cassandra nova's head and then inside the shadow of her of her uh forehead is the imprisoned face of of professor xavier and there's these lines that look like prison bars across his eyes it's just 
right off the bat from the first from the cover it's just like absolutely brilliant now we've talked about this issue um when we covered uh giant size x-men and russell dodderman's tribute to this issue which russell dodderman is also a master of the form um and i think we we complimented the heck out of out of those visuals but this is this is the original this is the source material and um the the story is fairly simple gene and emma are going to go and try and psychically rescue professor xavier's psyche out of the body of cassandra nova um realizing now that the two of them have body swapped and because it's the astral plane it allows quietly to kind of play around with you know whatever imagery he wants and it is just so cool yeah uh it's very difficult to tell a complex story like this like this is not simple ideas in such a way that it's engaging and clear and that's what this is you get gene and emma go into the mindscape and rescue them you get their character interactions like gene doesn't trust emma at this point gene thinks emma slept with her husband already (laughs) yeah you can tell their dislike for each other as this happens um but the visuals are also very psychedelic once they enter the mindscape the astral plane they're actually traveling down this spiral staircase but the way that that's depicted is through this looping spiral of extended bodies and professor x emotions on you know all these different faces in a different artist's hands, this could be like an absolute mess, but you follow the sequence and you realize what's happening. And at the end of that staircase, you open onto this this um, borderless splash page of Gene emerging from the shadows of those uh, of that staircase out to look at another tower, which is being sort of blasted with spotlights. And she knows that Professor X is being held prisoner in there. And that page turn is stunning you know it's it's not often when you turn a page on a comic and it just like takes your breath away that that one is just like mind-blowing to me gene then finds professor x uh while emma stays behind to provide some defense gene (laughs) goes to find professor x gets into this weird finds a weird snow globe with professor x's giant brain near it uh, swims with some sperm to see Professor X's conception. Uh, and the fact that Professor X had a twin in the wound who he fought to death. Well, that's the craziest thing about this is that because this even is a this very is, clear comic that does involve a baby on baby murder. It It is a silent issue that very clearly gives you the origin story of Cassandra Nova. And it is absolutely bonkers like it is elaborated on later in the next arc but the fact that it is introduced here with no dialogue whatsoever is fascinating it's so good yeah and also there's a page where a baby does a baby murder i will say one of the interesting things here is um contrasting the uh there is a shot of professor xavier's mother falling backwards down a flight of stairs Mm -hmm. Um, and it's very interesting to see the time period that that is coded as in like respects to what we just saw in, uh, X lives, uh, or X deaths of Wolverine. Oh, because X deaths of Wolverine just was like, Hey, was professor Xavier born in 1820? It's 
very strange, like the, the comparison. Where, where this, all of the stories we're talking about today are actually pretty explicit that Professor X is like 43 years old. Right. Which is wrong. And part of that's because Patrick Stewart uh, was born old. So we just always code him as much older. And even then, it's wild to see this issue. It's so good. And it also, it, it not only shows the Gene and Emma dynamic, but it then further emphasizes how good Gene is. Because Emma has been built up as like this great telepath and so incredible in all of this. And she's wildly ineffective in this, where Gene kind of single-handedly takes care of everything. She's Emma is uh, like attacked by these Cassandra Nova doors and coated in like green mucus and like spaghettios and right and like Jean is just like very casually building bridges with her mind and unchaining Xavier with no issues and bringing him back to the beach to safety. Um, it, it's quite the contrast. So it, it does a fabulous job. Now there is one line of dialogue at the end. Uh, which, which is, is the greatest <laughs> line of dialogue to ever end a comic. <laughs> Professor X tried to kill his twin sister while they were both still in the womb. We ought to talk. <laughs> it's great. We ought to talk. We yeah. ought to talk. It's so good. It Silence really is. is a masterpiece. Morrison's scripting on this is phenomenal. The restraint to say, no, I want to use this to tell this weird centerpiece of what's going to be like the first you know year and a half two years of the book i want this to be the pivot point also we're not going to use words frank you can go to town on it right yeah yeah it's frank quietly it... and grant morrison so freaking good <laughs> buddy like i got i got fresh i got a flex mentalo over here and that was their first one i just That's read where they uh... started I just read Pax Americana recently for the first time, and it just, like, blew my mind. Oh, Pax Americana, where Frank quietly says, yeah, uh, the nine-panel grid's cool. What if I did a 16-panel grid on every page? (laughs) What if I did more? Yeah, at some point, I'm going to go atomic with my panels, and and they're going to be so tiny, you're not going to be to... Oh, it's great. Um, All right, let's rank this. This is an interesting one. I I, um, don't... We have E for Extinction all the way up at number nine. and I think E is for Extinction is a it, better comic, as is Riot at Xavier's. I, I would agree. So those are at nine I think and you 12, could argue, I think you, I think you could argue that, that Silence is the best part of the Morrison New X-Men. And mm-hmm. I would listen to that argument even if I would disagree. What I do think it's better than is number 51 on our list, which is the Zorn issue uh, by the late, great Jean-Paul Dion, New X-Men 127. I would agree. I think it's better than Grand Design at 44. Do you think... Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump up to what's going to be a very comparable story. Okay. Number 28 on our list is Wounded Wolf. Barry Windsor I Smith. love Wounded Wolf. Yeah. I think this is better than Wounded Wolf. Oh, really? Okay. See... I don't know. It's a great I'm, comparison because what what Barry Windsor Smith is doing in that issue is also an artist showcase, as as you know it was with Life Death and Life Death Two. This is tough because we're we're putting something a little more contemporary against these like absolute classics, but this is also an absolute classic. You know, yeah, that's the thing. This this comic is twenty years old now. Yeah, um, 
I don't feel comfortable putting this ahead of, let's say, the Brood Saga at 30. Oh, I do. I do. Really? I think this is better than the Brood Saga. Yes. I, mm, I think it's an amazing piece of artwork. I think it's an amazing reveal. I just... I, I hesitate a little bit. I would... I would... Here's what I'll say. If I was ranking these and Adam was not in the picture... This would be number 25 on the list above the Murder World arc of Uncanny X-Men 123 to 124 and below Magneto Infamous, the Cullen Bunn, Gabriel Hernandez, Walta stuff. Yeah, Walta's is pretty good too. However, no. okay. Adam, you are you are you are a you are a equal member of this podcast and of this list. Um so. Well, we have we have Barry Windsor Smith at, at twenty eight, and then down at thirty at, below it at thirty one, we have Life Death two, both Barry Windsor Smith showcases. I would I would squeeze this in between the Brood Saga and Life Death two, making it thirty one. But I I could be convinced if if you want to you want to try and push me up. I don't know. Here's what here's what I'd say. The difference between something like this and something like Wounded Wolf, in my mind is that Wounded Wolf is telling a very simple story. Mm -hmm. It's beautifully told, but it is guy has to save little girl. That's, that's all it is. This silence is trying to explain prenatal baby murder. <laughs> that's true. In psychedelics. And like, there are, there are very few comics, I think, that get psychedelic mindscape stuff as good as this one does because it's very easy to get wrong mm. and frankly frankly excuse me and quite frankly frank quietly <laughs> gets it right here okay. so i would i would i would say what if we what if we found ourselves a compromise above wounded wolf but below fall of the mutants from x factor i the, think that all right let's let's meet in the middle there i think that's a good spot for it you know I, I don't want to parse it too much because I absolutely love this issue. It's just I always get hung up on like, you know, what's a classic? And this is a classic. Like, I mean, this that's is a, that's this is what that, how many years old is this now? Like 20 years old? It's 20. It's 20 years old now. It's crazy. This was 20 years ago. Yeah, that's uh, wild. It's we have a, we have a handful of things that are pretty high on this list that are more recent than this. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the best X-Men stories of all time. Like. Go check it out. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, unfortunately, the last story we're going to talk about is also saddled with those uh, art issues that we talked about before. And it is Imperial. It's bookended by Frank Quietly. It's That's what saves by it. Frank Quietly. That's what saves it, is that it is bookended by an amazing pair of Frank Quietly issues. This is Imperial, uh, which goes from... Issue New X-Men 122 through, what, 126? 126. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're just keep keep uh, chugging along here. Um, yeah, the, thing, the thing is, while Professor X uh, was possessed, he decided to go, uh, as he always does whenever he's having a hard time, go have sex with his space bird girlfriend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty much. And we open up with with a pretty big smash cut where they say hey that hasn't gone well actually um because that's actually cassandra nova and she is trying to destroy the shiar empire 
it is a fantastic opening splash page uh, <laughs> of the Empress, my Empress. The wheel is broken. The world is lost. The, the stakes are epic from page one. Um, and we also get a glimpse of what Cassandra Nova is looking like now in this twisted... The Mamandri form? Yes, it is this like Which giant... Which rules? Multiple, multiple armed thing uh with, it's like with... an aura around the body of xavier yeah it's kind of like he's floating in a jello mold and he is all crooked and like exorcist twisted up and uh red-eyed and like has this demonic smile on his face and their solution to this i always loved this bit is that <laughs> they're gonna throw smasher to, to the earth um just in time for the smasher this... smasher's the only living being who's going to be able to travel for space unaided <laughs> whatever that is, is the that only the only one that's going to be able to get there smasher does make it to earth smasher does unfortunately tell the first living beings he has found that cassandra nova is coming right uh, and those living beings are cows yes <laughs> Now, now, Adam, do you want to know uh, a beautiful thing? Yes, I do. Do you know those cows come back? Please Buddy, tell me. You know are those? those? They're, are they the scroll cows? Those are not the scroll cows. Those, the scroll cows had at this point been ground down into hamburger meat and oh, eaten right. by uh, the scroll scroll cow crew. <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. No, it rule. Okay, hold on. I love, I love, love the scroll kill crew. It's great. Like it's the it's a logical conclusion to that story. But how do the cows? Uh, how do these cows come back? I don't know this story. Oh, so you know Smasher, right? Yeah. In Smasher's exospecs, right? The glasses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, the the farm he lands on, it turns out, is the farm of Cable's future wife. Oh wow! That's so crazy. She, she finds. She finds the exospecs and then becomes the new Smasher, the first human oh. uh, in the Imperial Guard. You don't. You're you're saying can, you said Cable. You mean Cannonball, right? I do mean Cannonball. Oh my gosh! There I'm sorry. Go. Okay. All right. Now I understand. I remember this connection now. Um, yes. Yes. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's just Izzy a, gets Izzy gets the exospecs. Yeah. This, it's pretty which great. Is, listen, Jonathan Hickman. Did a good on that one. John That's Hick- great. He does his homework. That's a great right? call. Grant Morrison does their homework on this one too, though. Absolutely. Lots of really great character development here. We get uh, Gene and Scott together. Beast is really having a hard time, and uh, Cyclops decides, "Hey, Beast, I, Beast I've got an in idea." This, in this arc, or at least, or in the one before, I think in the one before it is when, yeah, in one seventeen, Beast and Trish Chilby break up, uh, and Beast is feeling pretty down on himself about that. Uh, yeah. In his de-evolution. That does result in a, a rather unfortunate scene later in this uh, in this issue where he breaks. Well, he's already been, Trish has already broken up with him, but um, he, he basically tells her he thinks he might be gay or doesn't think he likes humans anymore. And Beast is just all kinds of confused. Um, I, under- I understand what Morrison is doing here. Yeah. I think Morrison may not have thought this one through. All of the way in yeah. the implications, but regardless, um, Cyclops has gone to visit Zorn. He thinks Zorn can can help heal 
Uh, oh, because everyone's sick, too. Everyone's right. everyone has, real sick. Everyone has the flu. No one knows what it is. We find out later in this uh, arc that there are tiny little microscopic sentinels that Cassandra Nova put inside of all of them and that is killing them from the inside. So Xavier is dying inside of Cassandra Nova's body. So that's why Cyclops goes to try and find Zorn to see if he can uh, heal him because I guess Zorn can bring birds back to life or something. I don't know. Yeah, Zorn Zorn has healing powers. <laughs> right. And I I don't know, like the, the middle of this gets really weird because we, we have the Imperial Guard coming. They've been convinced by Cassandra Nova to, to destroy all of mutant kind. Um, there is a boy that is dating Esme who turns out to be Stuff. Yeah, that's Esme Cuckoo. The Cuckoos were previously introduced uh but this is where they start to actually become primary characters right like they they start to they drive a lot of the action in this actually mm-hmm. they they drive the resistance of the students uh with themselves and angel and beak yeah uh the the uh, invasion could not have taken place at a, at a worse spot though because the uh press is at the xavier mansion trying to listen to a psychic press conference by gene and all hell breaks loose yeah, because all the all of the uh, Imperial Guardsmen get there. Stuff is like, actually, I am a Shi'ar Super Guardian. <laughs> we should explain what Stuff is, because he kind of looks like Dupe, but he's not Dupe. Stuff does kind of look like Dupe. Right? Stuff is a shape-shifting alien. Yeah, um, he looks like a green jelly bean with like all kinds of little technical te- tentacle thingies hanging off of him, like, and he has bit one big red eye. So the the cuckoos are a little disturbed by this, to be honest. That's fair. Listen, yeah. that's listen, that's fair. So love is blind, but I'm not sure they were in love. No. Uh, so Wolverine is is kicking some uh, Super Guardian butt, but um, which definitely happens in the issue that it, I don't think Cordy's ever said which issue it draw in a week. It's this one. That one looks real rough. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a uh, it's one twenty four. Great cover with Zorn uh, huffing some potato chips, uh, but Igor Cordy's art on the inside. I could, I couldn't draw a comic book in a week. I, I, I couldn't draw I a don't, comic book in a month that looked this good. Yeah, I, I mean, there are still some Cordy. things here that that still work. Um, but you in can fact, tell actually, me. I'm not going to blame Cordy. Joe Casada, Mark Powers, Pete Franco, editorial team. What were you doing? Yeah. Why are we rushing this masterpiece, right? There is quite a bit of kind of stalling in this story, though. Um, we, yes. We're constantly waiting uh, for the Imperial Guard to, you know, actually break through. We're, we're having all these side conversations with moving the press and moving the students around. And, you know, it, it really is just kind of like a holding pattern until we get to this climax. Now... What what Gene tries to do, which is really interesting and kind of uh, forecasts some things that happened like in the Krakoan era, is that she backs up Professor X inside her brain and then later figures out how to back him up in a little piece in every single mutant's brain in the in the world via Cerebra and then piece it all back together at the end. Now, the Frank Quitely issue that wraps all this up is fantastic. And that is also the one where they 
convince Cassandra Nova to go back into her body, not realizing that Emma has made stuff be Cassandra Nova and shapeshift him. Shapeshift him, and they put Cassandra Nova into like remedial school, psychic remedial school, which always was a great little punchline to this. The last issue of well, this and, is pretty fantastic. And like even then, I give I give the Tom Taylor resolution to X Men Red some side eye uh, because I look at it and say, "Oh, you just have to teach Cassandra Nova about the power of love um, and empathy." That's that's fine. I think I don't like that because. It happens with the magical flip of the switch. Sure. Where in this one, it's like, hey, we've got to take some time to educate this life. But also, like, Gene straight up says, you may be an expert on fear, isolation, pain, hatred, loss, but you have no idea what friendship is. You don't understand the mechanics of emotion, of people who stick together and support one another. You just seem really vulnerable to me. Like, that's what she says before they do this whole trick to her. To Cassandra Nova. Like, she is just saying, you gotta learn about love, Cassandra Nova. But Grant Morrison's a better writer than Tom Taylor. <laughs> well, they spell it out that Cassandra Nova is not really a person. You know, they're very clear about defining what the Mumadri is and that it is more of this sort of, like, emotional force. So there's oh, the also... she our anti-self that we all must defeat before we, uh, before we <laughs> right. are born. And unfortunately, yeah. this anti-self clung... To uh, a, a side of a to... sewer wall in a miscarriage. I mean, it's yes. like, oh, it's graphic. But th- there is the implication that, like, for all of her masterminding schemes, there's sort of like an element of Cassandra Nova that's kind of dumb, you know, like willing to just follow the the passion and the emotion and the anger, um, and, and to get what she wants. And it's how they ultimately succeed. Cassandra Nova is. For all of for all the plotting, a very blunt instrument. Yes. She has one goal at all times, and it's total annihilation. Like that's all she really wants, and it's just driven by her only emotion being hate, which is a big Morrison idea. And I'm very excited to see what Steve Orlando does with Cassandra Nova in Marauders, because Orlando gets Morrison in a way that. A lot of writers don't. Very exciting. And I, I want I want to see what Steve does with yeah. that. Um, only other note. It is, does end with the, with Cassandra Nova being in school and Professor Xavier saying, shall we start from the very beginning? Right. A is for Adam. <laughs> yes. B is for Bomb. Drive a, draws a big X on the board, though, not an A. Um, e is for extinction, actually, <laughs> uh, which they, they do have to they do have to go back and say, Cassandra, you <laughs> You did a real bad on that one. Yeah. Though I do like I do like how they like that ties back it it ties back to her first story. Like mm-hmm. it ties the whole like this is collected in one ultimate edition, like one larger trade paperback uh that collects everything up from the first issue of New X-Men to the end of Imperial. And it's a great like that's a great capstone on here you want one more or less complete story. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more to this, but do you want do you want one complete like maxi story? Here this you is, go. This, this would Cassandra be a Nova. good run. I, I agree. Uh, it it does a nice job of uh, encapsulating it all. I think the other good thing about this is that it, we get this 
really breaking point for beast uh in here as well where he does try to sort of with wolverine by his side commit to being the beast being the animal uh in his attack on cassandra nova and it just like breaks the dude you know like he's whimpering in a corner at a certain point like before this story is over it's it's beast who is a scientist Mm -hmm. who is a man of culture who is choosing to accept that he cannot deny his nature. Yeah. Which is an interesting, it's an interesting topic when you've got a character like Wolverine, whose entire point is, I am denying my baser nature. Right. But Beast <laughs> Beast is tapping into it because he's too far on the other side. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just, it works. Grant Morrison's a very good storyteller who is let down by by their editorial team right now uh, because they gave artists who either weren't capable or did not have enough time to be capable these stories. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Um, though, I, I do still think that this one has a, a lot of a lot of fluff in the middle of it. So, um, I, I I think I think plotting wise. Of like of of Morrison's plots mm. in the new X Men run, this is the weakest one. Yeah, I would agree. So, I think this is not as good as uh, Germ Free Generations at two ninety. It's not as good as Germ Free Generation. How do you feel about it compared to uh, Ambient Magnetic Fields? No, that's it. That's at three twenty one. That's the Polaris issue. Yeah, I mean that's okay. I don't think this is. In a in a, another Imperial Guard story, uh, I don't think this is as good as at three twenty. We have the time Cannonball fought Gladiator, and they all went to space. I, I think that's better than this. While I think Assad Ribic is a better artist, I do not think that this. I I do think that this story overall is better than Dark Reign: The List Wolverine number one, <laughs> where uh, Jason Aaron who, his, Punish- his Punisher stuff's out, again, loves to write stories about how much God is bad, yeah. and but does it, doesn't do it at a level that, like, is adding anything new to the conversation. Nah, it's, it's, a, it's a broken record at this point. All right, so the real question is, is this better or worse than the time Sabretooth uh, got a pet tiger, Omega Red got a pet tiger, uh, and Sabretooth was in charge of Weapon X? <laughs> it's better than the first half of that story. It's not better than the Ricardo Lopez Ortiz issues. Okay, so is it better or worse than Savage Avengers one to five, three twenty two? Uh, the City of Sickles. Mm, yeah. that's a good question. <laughs> that I think this is better probably. Than yeah, this is probably it probably than that. is. That's a dumb comic. Like yeah, and I no, no shade to friend of the show Jerry Duggan. Jerry knew. He was writing a dumb comic. Yeah, he's there. writing an action movie. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. I, I'll i leave it up to you whether you think this is better or worse than New X-Men 132. I just don't think it's better than that uncanny X-Men run with the Joe Mad stuff. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not gonna fight too hard for it because I think it's exactly on the same level as 132. Yeah. But do you know what? Do you know what's beautiful about 132? What's that? Wasn't drawn in a week. No, that's true. All right. It's it's I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to hammer too hard on Igor Cordy, but boy oh boy is that some of the worst published art in X-Men history. It's tough. Again, most artists had more than a week. Yes. Most artists had more than a week. Yeah. All right. So uh wow. Now, 
have we done all of new x-men at this point or we still, oh no 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 we no, still no. have another chunk right we got the annual we got a lot of stuff in the we got adam i'm i'm uh i'm grabbing ultimate collection number two yeah what have we done before right the, right what have we not done before planet x yeah so planet x is in the ultimate collection number three right uh ultimate collection number two ends with murder at the mansion it's got riot and xavier's in it uh which we've covered um there's the dust issue oh right uh where she shows up ambient magnetic fields oh there's the uh oh there's the there's the first phantom x story Mm -hmm. uh and then there's a there is a one shot uh before that first phantom x actually we'd probably tie it into the first phantom x story because it has a lot to do with some of the other things that happen in there uh, or we wouldn't. Who knows what we would do? But it's a John Paul Leon one shot uh, about love really John about Leon. both Scott and Emma, and about Angel and Beak. Nice. All right. So we're actually we're actually rounding we're rounding the end of uh, New X Men. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. But we're running out of we're running out of Morrison stories. Stuff. We're not running out of X Men stories by a long shot. Oh no, we are not running out of X Men <laughs> stories. We we may. <laughs> We may soon be running out of the good X-Men stories. I don't know. We'll see. We've ranked some bad ones, too. You know, we'll see how it goes. We got we got plenty of stuff on the list already to uh, to still cover. So we've got... Oh, buddy, we've got some time. Yeah. So what's going on with you? Oh, um, work is the worst thing in the world right now, so I'm very busy. <laughs> um, but I actually just made an appearance uh, that was recorded a bit ago, uh, but just airing... Uh, just aired last week as we record this on uh, Play Comics Cast, uh, where it's people talking about comic book adapted video games. Mm-hmm. I talked about X Men Legends Two: The Rise of Apocalypse, a video game I played a lot of, <laughs> a lot of on the PlayStation Portable. Uh, so go check out that. That's a very fun time. What about you, Adam? I too was uh, a guest on uh, Play Comics podcast, um, talking about a video game I had never played before, uh, Blade Two for PS2. However, uh, we had a really fun conversation about uh, Blade and the Blade movies. So uh, check that out. Um, I am also going to be on an upcoming episode of um, Gosh Golly Wow, the uh, Excalibur podcast that is um hosted by anna peppard um of comics xf and uh it is a lot of fun we're talking about a not so great issue of excalibur but which one which one which one it's uh the one where they try and do the entire uh chronological story of the phoenix and try and make it make sense with gene and rachel it's not good and it was a lot of fun to talk about so that'll be coming soon i i'm gonna at this point here's the thing I'll eventually not be busy, and I think by that point, it'll be like the Ben Robb era of that podcast, and I'll be like, let's go! Let's do this! <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, you're talking about us running out of stories, but like they asked me, what have you covered of Excalibur? And I was like, not a lot, actually. So, um, anyway, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Arthur Stacy And Zach, what do we have cooking for next week's show? Next week, we're going to talk about stories that were drawn by Pepe Larraz who's one of the artists on the number one ranked store on our list. So it's Pepe Larraz. You know it's going to be good. It's going to be a visual treat for an audio medium. But until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get it!